0: Now, uh, as a pastor, I tend to kind of share um, in the same church when I speak. Uh, I was a time when I used to travel around and speak at different churches and different camps, and I remember going to a place called Hollybush in the northeast, north of England, around Yorkshire, and uh, it's got a great story. It's even got a book written about it called Miracle Valley, um, but I remember... Um, Going and speaking there, and the guy who oversaw the whole uh, church and uh, camp there was a guy called Jim Wilkerson. And he was a great guy. He was quite elderly, but last time I went to speak. But I remember going to speak, and um, every time I walked past him, he said to me, he says, "Cheer up." <laughs> and I thought, "Do I look that glum?" And then he invited me up to speak, and as I walked to the platform, he said, cheer up. I thought, what's the problem here? Then after the service, after I'd finished, I thought I did pretty well. He still told me to cheer up. And then he sent me a thank you card, and in the bottom, it wrote, cheer up. Now, I was getting a little bit of a complex here until I realized that he said that to absolutely every person that he met. So I didn't feel too bad. So we're going to be looking at a particular title this morning called Reason to be Cheerful. Now, there's many reasons that we can be cheerful. We're going to look at a particular one this morning. Now, I don't know whether you were brought up to go to church, but I wasn't really brought up to go to church. I went to Sunday school until I was five, and they had really good Christmas parties. But when you're five, a year is a long time, so they took a long time to come up. So I stopped going to church, and I didn't go to church again until I was about 15 years old and I remember the first time I went to church properly on a Sunday evening and uh, uh, the people who ran the youth club invited us young people to go and I thought one Sunday evening we were so desperate for something to do that they thought we will take them upon their invitation and go to church. The only problem is they were all away on a youth weekend, none of them were there. So me and my gang, call them my gang, Wendy remembers my gang, it's amazing that we're married. It's amazing that we're married <laughs> and me and my gang sat on the the back row because we we're there early Methodist church you had to get there early to get on the back row we was on the back row and I tell you we I mean the songs that they sung we weren't familiar with they weren't the ones that we sang at the football matches on a Saturday and we were kind of to entertain ourselves we used to throw things at um back then people used to wear hats a lot more so all a little bit target practice but um so I remember that was my first experience of church. Then after the service, after an hour, I mean, we were bored, stiff because we didn't used to go to church. We thought, well, let's go. But then this guy came up and spoke to us, and um, he was, well, back then I thought he was really elderly, he was about 60, but I realized that's not very old at all, and, um, and, um he was really glad that we were there, and I think I mentioned before, he had a heart condition, I didn't realize, and he had these blue lips, and I was captivated by these blue lips, but, but he was glad that we were there, and um, because of him, we went back the next week. The week after all the young people were back, and um, three months later, I became a Christian, and firstly, I just want to say that uh, sometimes how difficult it is for somebody to walk into church. It can be difficult. And we all have a part to play in helping people feel welcome. We're kind of, we're in it together. Now, when I drive past this church in Derby where I became a Christian, because we have family in Derby, we drive past it on a, on a regular basis. And I'm so thankful to that church. And I remember the room on a Sunday night when I became Uh, a uh, a Christian, and um, I thought they'd probably put a plaque up there on the wall, but they didn't. They knocked it down, but um, the room's not there now, but I'm so grateful for them. I've been part of three churches in my 40-odd years of being a Christian, been part of three churches, and it's so important, so important that we're part of a spiritual Christian community where we feel come on guys, we're all in it together. We're part of this. And if you're looking at Encounter Church, then take your time having a look. If you decided that uh, Encounter Church is your spiritual home, then yeah, let's be in it together. In In the New Testament, 53 times they use the phrase one another, one another, one another, just referring to the fact that we're in it together. And we're going to read a very familiar passage this morning of what can happen when a group of Christians are really in it together. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. We read these verses often because they, they encourage us greatly. So, Acts two forty-two uh, to 47. The fellowship of the believers. They've "...devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day, it says, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts." praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I just love that at the end, the Lord added daily to the number of those who were becoming Christians. And there's a a number of hallmarks of some incredible things that were happening here in the early church, people becoming Christians regularly, there was healing, there was people growing, being discipled, there was prayer, there was unity, there was hospitality, there was diversity, and there was incredible generosity. And he might not have picked up within it all as they talked about um, miracles and stuff like that, but he talked about how they came and gave their offerings and put them at the, uh, the apostles' feet, the leaders' feet. Now traditionally in churches in the UK over the years. That's not been the way that we've done our offerings. We've not invited people to come and put it at the pastor's feet. Usually, what happens is that basket goes round. Obviously, people carry cash um, less. But there's a reason. There's a reason that it actually specific says they, they gave their offering and put it at the apostles' feet, because what it is stating is that they were giving with no strings attached. You see, back then in the Roman world and uh, in Jerusalem, if, uh, which was part of the Roman Empire at that particular point, whenever anybody gave anything away, it always had strings attached. You always expected something in return. It was a patronage system. So if somebody had, who was afterward gave somebody some money, then you could always call in a favor. There was an expectation that they will come and serve you in some way. So the fact that people gave their offering and put it at the apostles' feet was a totally change of attitude, totally living in the opposite spirit that we're giving to the Lord's work and there is no strings attached. We are not expecting anything back from this. That's why we just give it to you. We're giving it away because people didn't give things away. So this was incredibly uh, dramatic and cultural Now, we're so grateful uh, for people who give to the life and mission of Encounter Church, and it is good at times to give an indication of what that investment goes towards. So I'm going to mention one or two things this morning at this first part. So we're so grateful for people who give, and I'm going to mention some of those areas. Now, many of you have known that have been part of Encounter Church for the last five or six years. We've had a partnership with a church in Weedy Castle, about three miles away. And that was Weedy Castle Enim Church. It became, Castle, uh, it became Encounter Church Weedy Castle for a little while. And we were delighted to have that partnership. They're a church that had gone down to about 20 or so people. Other people know the history better than me. And it was just wonderful to invest some of our resources into that mission in that local community. And over the five years, it built up and built up. We were able to contribute to them, employing a pastor. And then the last two years, it kind of the growth just went through the roof, which was fantastic. They went from about 20 or 30 to about 60 to 80 on a Sunday morning. And we released them, prayed for them and released them to be Castle Edenham Church back in September. The wonderful thing is is that Castle Edenham Church is now resourcing a a smaller church in the area. It's amazing how that generosity has been able to be passed on to, um, they've been able to pass that on. We as a church also like to invest in the younger generation. We like to invest into children's work and we do that some of our resources goes into that and we employ some of the Debs to uh, lead that so we have children's work on a Sunday midweek with uh, toddler groups we have special events we connect with local schools and I really do commend parents at encounter church that you want your children your family to grow in, grow up And to engage with the church. And I really do commend uh, families and parents who have that commitment. And we do bless you and thank you for that. But children's work is very important for us. That also extends to us having a a nursery. Some of you are aware that we have a nursery. Some people are sometimes here for quite a while and not aware that we have a, a nursery. But upstairs, if you went through the ceiling, please don't. You'll find nursery rooms. When you come into the car park, you'll find... Nursery rooms. This nursery has been here for 30 years. Um, most children come three days a week, at least, from sometimes 7 in the morning, 7:30 in the morning till 6 at night, and it's an amazing privilege to serve our local community. We have about 30 staff. We have about 70 children uh, each day, and over the, the period of having this nursery, there's been about 2,000 children go through it, and it's part of our mission as a church, it kind of contributes to our mission, we contribute to their mission, it's part of our church. I was reading actually about nurseries, it's amazing now, Uh, the pastor of Encounter Church, I tend to notice nurseries all over the place, which I didn't used to, but I do now, because it's great to be involved in one. And I, I picked up this quote by Dr. Trudy from Royal College of Psychiatrists, and she said this, and I saw this online, and I thought, wow, She said, the period from conception to five is essential in securing the healthy development of children into adulthood. Parents, carers, and society as a whole have a critical role to play. This includes securing positive relationships and a nurturing environment that supports the building blocks of a child's social, emotional, and cognitive development. And I love the fact that our nursery is called Foundations. And we have the opportunity to also add to that something of a spiritual foundation and opportunity for some of these uh, parents. And it's part of our mission with the younger generation. We also invest in uh, young people as well. And some of you have met Ruben. Uh, He's a lovely lad who heads up that work. And I have a bit of a bias about working with young people, partly because I became a Christian when I was 16 years old. I uh, wasn't really brought up to go to church, and I loved the fact I want the people to have the opportunity when they're young to know something about the gospel. So often parents will say that don't go to church and say, well, I'll, I'll let them choose when they're older, but they can't choose if they don't know, and therefore we need to give them the opportunity in order to find, find out. And a verse that really sticks out for me um, about the younger generation is Judges 2, verse 10. And basically, Israel had gone into Canaan, they'd gone into the Promised Land. Um, This is a kind of a generation after that. And then in Judges 2, verse 10, it says, After that, the whole generation, and Joshua had passed away, the whole generation had gathered to their ancestors, that is, they died, and another generation that grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what God could do. And I don't want to, in our generation... Be a church that doesn't play its part in helping this generation grow up knowing something about how amazing God is. And that's why we will invest in the work of young people. We also love to invest in the work among students as well. And I'm really apolog- I really apologize to those of you students, is that for some reason I didn't put a picture of the students in the PowerPoint. I do apologize for that. Because you're so good looking, <laughs> you look so good. I mean, how could I forget? I I don't know. I do apologize for that. I was going to get you to stand up, but I won't get you to stand up. It's fine. But I do apologize for that. Now, Emily mentioned about Chris Cartwright, a national leader, speaking next week. And when he came last time, he had a prophetic word about our church. He says, God has really put you, this church, in a strategic place um, to reach uh, students and the younger generations and people who come from overseas, that people will become Christians here They'll be built up here, and, they'll be, and some will stay, and some will be sent out uh, to different parts of the world. So God has a great plan for us, according to, you know, reach, reaching students. Now, how many people here—I'm going to do a straw poll here. You need to—you can put your hand up. How many people here would say that they became a Christian or came to faith under the age of 21? How many people? Okay, if you look around, which you're allowed to look around, that is a lot of people. Now, we love it when people become Christians after the age of 21, but the vast majority of people becomes Christians under the age of 21. And my boss, when I used to work for Youth of Christ, he says, well, if, if 80% of people become Christians under the age of 21, then a is, 80% of a church's budget should go to reaching young people. Actually, a lot of our budget does go to reaching young people and all different ages as well. But we want young people to grow up and know, don't we? And that is where part of our investment goes to. And it's just wonderful that we have people who come to Encounter Church, um, to study or to work, and different ages as well from different parts of the world. And it's just wonderful for us to welcome you to Birmingham, to Encounter Church, and in some cases, in um, introducing you to the Lord Jesus as well. And that is a tremendous privilege for us to help us, for us to do that. And, And people's giving contributes to us and to be able to give that investment. Now, in turn, we contribute to a lot of mission overseas as well. We don't want to just keep it here. We want to resource what God is doing in other parts of the world. And one area that we support is Nepal. And some of you are here in the summer when Bob uh, came over. He heads up United Vision for Nepal. And let me say something about Nepal and United Vision. This is an Healing Missions initiative that partners with other um, organizations as well. In 1950, but it's only since 1950 that Christianity has started to take hold in Nepal. Before that, there was hardly any people who would call themselves Christians in Nepal. Something has changed in the last 50 years. And the vision of United Vision for N- Nepal is to have a church in every village in Nepal, to plant a church in every village. And there's, they're making a lot of ground. Nepal's made up of many villages, the capital's Kathmandu, of course, but it's mostly villages. And churches are being planted regularly in Nepal. Now, they reckon that per capita is the fastest growing church in the world, per capita, because so many churches are being planted. That's tremendous, isn't it? And it's just wonderful to invest in in missions there. We also support missions in Cambodia as well. Some of that involves church planting. But some of that involves an initiative called Be Free, because what Be Free looks to do is to rescue and rehabilitate people who have been caught up in modern-day slavery. And we're just going to show a very short, minute-and-a-half video that gives some, of the I- some idea of the extent of modern-day slavery around the world of which Cambodia gets caught up with. So we're going to put that on now for you to see something and understand something of what is going on. Thanks, Deji. that's one of the major things that uh, Elium get involved in in Cambodia like I say they have a center that can accommodate 40 or 50 people who were involved in modern day slavery had been kidnapped and engaging in that and they're just rehabilitating them uh, helping them um, to be freed up from that to go on to live a meaningful life many of them become Christians as well just a great ministry that we're able to also contribute to Then also, as far as overseas is concerned, many of you know that Natasha and Jordan are going over to Japan. In fact, they're flying out today, this evening, to Japan for about 50 days for their first stint there to build up some connections, and they're planned to be there over these next few years. So whereas Nepal is one of the fastest-growing churches in the world, Japan is really the opposite. Really the opposite. Um, Very kind of, very difficult place to see people become Christian, so it's good to support that as well, and we pray that what happens, is happening in Nepal, sort of thing will happen in Japan as well, over these next few decades. We also support some home missions as well, and we have a lovely picture here of Daryl and Maureen, there they are, there they are, couldn't get the students, but we have got Daryl and Maureen, so that's good. And uh, they work for an organization called Agape, works with students as well, but uh, particularly refugees. So it's lovely to be able to support them. We also support Christians Against Poverty, uh, called CAP, and they help people out of severe debt. And uh, that can be a very difficulty for some people, just very difficult, just often through no fault of their own. Sometimes if it was their fault, it can be difficult to get out of debt and can be so crippling. But Christians Against Poverty really uh, help people. I think God set it up about 20 years ago for this time, this season. It's amazing. And through it also, we'll explain more about it at another time. Many people become Christians uh, through it. It is fantastic. So it's wonderful to be able to contribute to these, in some small way, these mission initiatives. It's wonderful to use some of our resources to develop our building as well. It's good to do that. Um, Some of you noticed that the platform over this last year has kind of been revamped. We've revamped the coffee lounge. We've put carpets in different places and there's other things that we want to do. But it's great to have a church building like this and to make it fit for inviting people in and doing mission initiatives. Here. So some of it goes towards that. Now, when it comes to giving, certainly within a church, there's kind of two extremes, aren't there? Some people go to a church and they think, they always talk about money. Now, we kind of, I think we're kind of the opposite to that. We don't talk about money very much. We kind of go the other way, um, sometimes because we don't want people to feel uncomfortable. But it is an area that God wants to bless. It is an area that God wants to speak to us about, Uh, But money does strange things to people. Or people become strange. It's not money, is it? I mean, people become strange over money. Funny things happen. I picked up a couple of quotes recently about money. It says, the average family ambition is to make as much money as they spend. (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. All the best with that. We buy things we don't need with the money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And uh, just the third one, Uh, the aim for many people is to make ends meet. And just when you think the ends meet, the ends move. (laughs) And that is true, isn't it? But there's great purpose and blessing uh, in money and in giving. And I just want to read uh, three or four verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, just to take the message towards its conclusion this morning, and uh, the words should come up on the screen, or you can turn to it if you've got your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 11, I'm going to read. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows sparingly will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplied seeds to the sower and bread for food will also supply... And increase your store of seed and enlarge your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now these are great verses and encouragements in the area of giving. And I think that there's a few reasons why the early church were incredibly generous and gave with no strings attached. And I'm um, just going to mention four quick points. Firstly, I think that they were just incredibly grateful. They were so thankful of this new found faith, that this new covenant, that they can actually know God through the Lord Jesus Christ, that all these barriers were broken down. That It wasn't just about being good ourselves. And I think that they're incredibly grateful. I think that they're realizing that money wasn't everything. Money wasn't everything. Uh, St. Augustine says this, You have made our hearts, Lord, for yourself, and they are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And those people who think that the answer is money, in Lamentations, he says this, Those who love money will never have enough. You'll never have enough if you love money, and we find our, our, our rest in the Lord. And they, were, they gave cheerfully because they were thankful. Money didn't have a hold on them. Secondly, they wanted to make a difference. It's clear that they wanted to make a difference. And giving was a way of doing that. They were in these verses. And in what we just read in uh, chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians and First six sorry, two Corinthians says this remember this: whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously now I'm happy or pleased as a as a Christian that some of my money can go to make a difference to mission to the building up of the church, people being rescued people being restored of the kingdom of God advancing now of course we could probably if we're not given over the years we could probably have a bigger house I could probably have a faster car probably go for longer holidays uh, abroad there's probably a lot of things that I could do I remember once travelling on holiday with uh, our family, we were in Wales, we go to Wales quite a lot. And I remember as one of our children was sitting in the back of the car and asked a question which I wasn't quite sure how to answer. And he says, Daddy, why are we so poor? <laughs> and I had to think about that. Why does he think that we are so poor? And then I put two and two together because we've been on holiday with the family and they see kind of, you know, our siblings and stuff. And I realized that, that Wendy's brother had properties in different parts of the world, Spain, New York, um, Switzerland and stuff like that. My sister lived in India and she lived in a mansion, mansion. They also had this big farm. My brother had about five properties that he rented out. My younger sister, my younger sister lived in this posh village in uh, um, Where is it? Oxfordshire. Also had this holiday home in um, France. And he thought that we were incredibly poor (laughs) because he only lived in one house. (laughs) Poor kid. Poor kid. He had his own bedroom. Anyway, I think he might have been a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I'm not too sure. (laughs) Statistics says this. If you have a roof over your head, food in the fridge, clothes on your back and front... I recommend that. I do recommend that. Uh, Go for the front as well. Go for the front as well, particularly in church. What you do outside of church is up to you. But when you're in church, please close your front. Close on your back and front. You're already richer than 75% of other people within the world. And if you have money in the bank, you're already richer than 80% of people that are within the world. And it's interesting that the believers in the early church lived in the opposite spirit because it says they sold property and possessions kept the main ones, I think. They, I mean, I think they had several, properties and possessions, and gave to those who had need. It's not wrong to have good things. It's not wrong to have lots of property, but it is an attitude thing, isn't it? Our life is not made up of what we own, and it makes a difference when we give generously, so that we, and God gives back so we can be even more generous. So they give because I think they're grateful, because they want to make a difference, and I think it's because they, they trusted God. We can trust God now. We don't have to hold on to all these things. Money doesn't have to be an idol. It's reckoned that an idol is, making, is taking something good and making it the ultimate thing, which people do with money, but it's not ultimate, our ultimate place of security. In Proverbs 18, verse 11, it says this, the wealth of the rich The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine an unscalable wall. The people think if they've got lots of money, they're automatically going to be safe. But the verse before it in Proverbs 18 verse 10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. Totally the opposite perspective. But they trusted God. But I think they also fourthly That it helped to release incredible blessing within the church: generosity, hospitality. The thing about giving is that is that you're not holding on. You're open. We're opening ourselves up to receive. But when we kind of hold on, it is difficult to receive. And there's so much more that God said He wants us to receive. Each of you, what does He say? That, And he says, and God is able to bless you abundantly in all things, at all times, having all that you need. You will be enriched in every way, in every way, so that you can continue to be generous. So our testimony grows. There's something about money and God's wanting to work within our hearts. And and as we are generous, there's stories of God's grace, isn't there? That testimony grows. Now, when our daughter was at uh, university, she went to uh, Nottingham University, and she went to a church there called Trent Vineyard, very good church. She now works there. But when she was a student, I realized that, well, it was clear that she was often very short of money. Nearly every week, she's saying, oh, I'm a bit short this week, I'm a bit short this week. And I realized the reason that she was short is that she was giving a lot of money to her church. So there was me and Wendy giving to our church in Whitley Bay and giving to the church at, in Nottingham. So we were kind of giving the, the offering, which I thought was quite humorous, really, to a point. No, I thought he was. No, I thought he was funny. Do you know, I was happy because I wanted to give. I wanted to have that. Now, we're all in different positions, but I wanted to have that spirit. And then she started to work for the church. And it was funny because a church around the corner from Trent Vineyard called Cornerstone, somebody there got in touch with the leaders at Trent Vineyard, stick with me for a moment, saying, we've got a car, we want to give it to one of the staff at Trent Vineyard. And so Trent Vineyard staff decided, we're going to give this, we, we think this car should go to Amy. They'd seen the car. But anyway, they this car should go to Amy. And so we went, I went when we was in the Midlands, we went, I went with Amy to the house where this car was, and we knocked on the door to take this car away, opened the door, and the person inside, I can't remember what his name was, and he just says, Hi Phil. I didn't recognize him at all. But 15 years before, he'd become a Christian at our evening's youth service. In the evening. It's amazing, the connections, isn't it? How God orchestrates different things. So when Amy kind of drives off with his car. Do you know, when we're generous, it just opens up, it, it increases our testimony. There's just something about God wants to enrich us in every way. And it's not necessarily possessions back, don't get me wrong here. But he wants to enrich us in every possible way. Now, I'm not going to, as we kind of draw this to a close and wind I'm not going to say how much people uh, should give. It's important that we join the dots up ourselves. But in the verses that we read in 2 Corinthians um, 9, verse 7, I think I said 1 Corinthians 9, it says this, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not out of compulsion but what this is saying is, giving your heart what you've decided to give, it does kind of indicate, be deliberate. Be organized. Be intentional. Now there's different seasons, different opportunities, And even though I didn't go to church till my teenage years, I, since then I've loved the principle of tithing, or given a percentage of income. In the Old Testament, it talks about 10%, and I found that really helpful myself, because I'm not kind of thinking every month, well, how much am I going to give? I'm not thinking um, what's left over. I know it's going to happen, I've budgeted for it. I just find the principle really helpful. I was fortunate that I was a young Christian when I started doing this. I didn't have a lot of responsibility um, that has grown over the years. but I do did find it helpful because it's consistent. You're planning ahead, it's based on income. and it might be something that you work towards. It might be something that you work from. Because dare I say this, throwing this out for many of us that have tied for many years, we can potentially grow in our generosity. We can do this. C.S. Lewis says this, I'm afraid that biblical charity is more than merely giving away what we can afford to do without anyway. So giving is something that can develop for us all wherever we are. So it's good to review our giving regularly. There's great joy, excitement, security. Test me through giving. It's the reason to be cheerful, not to be glum. So there's an intentionality side intentionality side to giving and also a practical one too so whereas churches used to hand the basket around we don't do that so much now because people don't kind of carry cash one of the first things I was ever asked to do in church was to pass the offering plate around and I was terrified because there were so many coins and banknotes and if you dropped it I don't think I ever dropped it but yeah kinda, I was really nervous because so much money was going in But giving is still part of our worship. It is still part of our worship. Even though we don't kind of pass the basket around during a song, giving is still part of our worship of God. And for many people, they give online, but that is still part of our worship. Many people give by standing order, and that's still part of our worship. And there's information on our website about giving online. We have a giving leaflet that just explains how you can give online. And some on a Sunday morning like to give in person as part of their worship. There's a box at the back that people can put cash in. There's a card machine that you can give by card. I mean, times have moved on a little bit, haven't they? But it's still part of our worship. And let me say this, something quite important for some of you. That In the UK, we also have this wonderful gift given us by the UK government. I don't know what it's like in other countries where giving can be gift aided and that can really add to what you offer um, if you pay income tax so if you do pay income tax and you register your giving to encounter church and y- you gift aid it then because we are a charity the government will add 25% to every one of your every one of your donations they'll increase it by 25% because you've already paid tax. So you're not giving more, but 25% will come on top of what you've given if you pay income tax. And it's good stewardship, it's it's giving responsibly. Last year as a church, I hope you don't mind me saying, that we received 18,000 pounds back from the government, which was gift-aided giving, if that makes sense. I hope that it does. Now to gift-aid your income, you do need to fill in a form in regarding your donations to uh, Encounter Church. Even if you've signed a gift aid form for another charity, even another Eden Church, if you want your donations to be increased by 25% to Encounter Church, you still have to fill in a form specifically for that. And at the back, at the welcome desk, uh, there is a letter and a form that you can read and fill in if you'd like to do that. If, I hope you don't mind me saying this, if you feel or think that your donations are gift aided already, And you want to be 100% sure, please ask us or ask Tony, our operations manager, and his email address is on the giving leaflet. But giving is part of our worship. And this morning, I did want to just mention some of the things that we invest in as a church. It's good for us to know, isn't it, that even though people give with no strings attached, we want you to know that we're really prayerfully investing in resources in the things that advance God's kin- kingdom, and we mentioned some of those things. And we pray like the early church that we will see increasingly the Lord added to our number, even on a daily basis. But let me say this, that, that finance is is an area within our lives that God wants to truly bless and enrich us in every way. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite us uh, to stand as we pray. We've been seated as a moment uh, for quite a while. I'm going to pray for us this morning as we draw to a close. Like I say, some people like it when we talk about finance. Some people, I hope you're okay with that. I'm sure you are. Let's pray together. So as this morning, we're so grateful for those who give to the life and mission of Encounter Church, I want to pray this morning for those where finance is a challenge this morning. It's a difficult area for you, for whatever reason. It could be that you're praying, say, God, I I need a job. It could be that you say, Lord, I need a change of job. It could be you say, Lord, my resources are really low. I'm not too sure I'm even going to make it up until this date. Uh, As a church, we really want to pray God's blessing on you in this area because we believe that God wants to enrich you, provide for you, help you to receive. Lord, we do thank you for each other. We thank you, Lord, for our life in you. We thank you, Lord, that you are our security. Thank you that uh, for most of us here, we can share many testimonies of your goodness, of how you've provided for us in special ways, in unique ways, in ways that we know that it's only you that has done that, provided jobs and opportunity. And, Lord, this morning we do pray for those who are looking for employment. And Lord, we do pray as a church that you would open a door that goes beyond what they could ask or imagine. That they would look back and say, God, only you could have done this. Not that they don't push the doors or try, Lord, but opportunities will come that will be amazing for them. We pray, Lord, even opportunities will come for some that will mean that they can stay within the UK at this moment in time for the next few years. And Lord, we do pray for those who are really... Asking you to provide at this time, that over these next few weeks, over this Christmas period, Lord. That for them, you would open the gates of heaven. That, Lord, that you would enrich them in many ways. That you would go beyond what we can ask or imagine. Lord, we thank you as we profess this morning, we are your children. You are the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. And at this Christmas time, as we talk about gifts, we pray, Lord, for those who who are in need at the moment within our church community. We pray for every good and perfect gift will descend upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.